Welcome to the Manufacturing Masters Podcast with your host, Allison DeFord. Everybody, today's episode of the Manufacturing Masters Podcast is brought to you by the letter E. Why, you ask? Well, our guest is none other than Eddie Saunders Jr. He is truly the evangelist, another E word, for manufacturing, and he's also all about empathy-driven growth marketing. He is also the Senior Content Strategy and Demand Generation Manager at Norgren, and we're so fortunate to have him as an expert on the Manufacturing Masters podcast. Eddie and I get into a whole lot of stuff today, and I know you probably heard me say empathy. Hang with me. This is going to be worth your time. It can help change your business. It can help you market smarter, and it can help you tap into your ideal customers on an emotional level. See, there's another E word. So trust me when I tell you, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. I am so grateful for you to spend some time with myself and Eddie Saunders Jr. Everybody, here we grow. Oh my gosh. Our guest today is somebody who I swear to you, I, I, I feel like I should already know you, Eddie, and we've never met in person. And this is the first time we've ever talked. Craziness. But today it is becoming official and I couldn't be happier about it. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, you are the empathy guy and I feel like I've been the empathy gal for a really long time. And for, I have to say for years, I felt embarrassed because I would lead with empathy. I would encourage manufacturers to lead with empathy and I would get this look of like, what? It's like I was crazy or too soft or fill in the blank. So to have somebody like you, number one, you're, I, I feel like you're, you're younger than I am. So you're like the next generation, uh, which is exciting. Two, you're a male. And in an industry where I always feel like head and heart haven't always connected, this I think is going to be a really exciting conversation for our listeners. So talk to me about empathy for a minute and, and marketing. Like how did this come up for you as a, as a driver? Well, a, a long time ago, which, which I love first, let me start with the fact that, that you've been preaching that because I don't think it's a new thing by any means. So if anything, oh, yeah. it's no original concept. I'm just trying to be a, re a reminder to people that other human beings exist. And regardless of what we do in the B2B or B2C realm, both of those equal H to H, which is human right. to human. And to me, if you really break it down and get to the stinky core of the onion, if you will, peel some layers <laughs> back. That's been the most true thing of all. And I've read all kinds of these sales books and all of the human understanding and psychology and decision-making books. And a lot of it comes down to a lot of the same concepts and that we're dealing with humans and getting the right individual to make a decision is an art, but the science in itself is getting them just to kind of move in that specific direction. So with empathy being a driver. So it's changed a lot of what I do, not only in my professional world, uh, but also in my, in my personal life as well. 
I love that. Well, the thing, the reason that I started talking about it and focusing on it, um, I want to say like six years ago, was that I learned, I I found some research and it said that the majority of time, like 90% of the time, people make decisions. They make buying decisions with not the rational side of the brain, but the empathetic side of the brain, empathy. And with um, heart, emotionally, that was the thing. And I thought, okay, if this is happening 90% of the time, why are most marketers and manufacturers, why are we marketing to the rational side of the brain, which is only 10% of the decision-making part? So it just made sense to me. Why don't we tap into that 90% side of the brain and connect faster here, right? I always say Mm -hmm. the most successful and beloved brands aren't just seen and heard, they're felt. They make that emotional connection. So do you agree? Oh, 100%. 100%. I, I couldn't agree more uh, because it's just such a large, huge concept. And I just have to go back to the fact that it's not its not a new thing. You know, it's been around for a while. People just very much forget that they're dealing with humans. And, and, and I also try to show empathy in my approach. And I don't want to say it a million times if we're going to, but it's, it's a lot of these individuals that are just leading with these. We're going to show them features and benefits. We're going to right. throw all these one pages down their throat. It's just, it's the, all they know. And mm-hmm. in some cases, all they're allowed to do, which is just a yeah. tragedy. Uh, but that's also you're seeing a shift in the changing of the guard. So the message that you started within yourself, you know, that's only getting louder. And I'm just trying to help turn that volume up because yeah. it's 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 really not a matter of like when it's just gonna if if that or not if it's when no that's finally going to shift over and individuals are going to really start to understand that there's more at play than just showing people your features and benefits, which blows my mind that people still lead with that. I digress. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious, so you work for a large company besides all your speaking and and whatnot, right? Being mm-hmm. a dad, That's correct. And yep. marketing and all the things that you do. Yeah. So is the company, the large <clears throat> company that you work for, was it an easy sell for you to market with empathy or is it something that took a little time for them to embrace? Uh, it's kind of just my style and how I operate. So I kind of make it very, very clear, but I also, I can kind of back up a lot of the decisions that I've made with data. And so even going into that larger role where you're going outside of just America, you're going on a global audience, it still applies the same exact way because even though the humans may be different in specific pockets or segments or markets of the world, if you still have that same general intent, the playbook still applies. There are only minor tweaks that need to be made, and that's just to genuflect to the specific humans all over the globe. So a lot of the strategy has worked really, really well. That's why I kind of do the whole buddy branding system and why a lot of my uh, marketing strategies and tactics and my playbook is all based around focusing on them, not what we do. It's focusing on who we're trying to talk to and how they're going to even want to receive that message in the first place. Exactly. So on that note, what do you think, what do you think manufacturers are afraid of when it comes to switching from rational features and benefits kind of marketing to a more empathetic and emotional approach. 
are, are they afraid they're going to look soft? Are they afraid people aren't going to, you know, people, people want to know who we are and what we sell, right? And how we make what we sell. And we're telling them, no, they don't. They buy from you because of why you do the thing that you do, right? You know, right. Or, I mean, what do you think yeah. they're afraid of? I mean, in all reality, what I've noticed, and this is not only just working in one specific structure, but noticing a bunch of different structures is you have individuals on the entry level who are connect your product marketers, your performance marketers, just your general marketing team, hands on the pulse, your sales team, talking to customers. You have people who are genuinely plugged into the people that are not only paying your bills, but the people who potentially can being your prospective uh, business and buyers. And they're not listening to those individuals that are at the bottom because you have other people on the top that are making those decisions without applying that empathy because they're just looking at raw data, which I understand as someone who loves data and God, we trust everybody else bring data. <laughs> but at that point, if you rely specifically on that to make every single decision and to lead all of your efforts, you leave a core element of that. I think you steal a little bit of creativity and engagement from your marketing team. So I think the real problem and the fear is, okay, you got people up top making decisions. We've always done it this way. This is safe. I have to appease to a specific amount of individuals. Let's just restrict what they can say at the bottom, even though they have all the understanding and, and you know, we don't even try to have that level of it. So I think the biggest problem is just uh, being shackled in a sense from those who actually have the understanding uh, being led and held down by those who don't have the understanding or are just trying to rely on smaller criteria to make what they feel to be better advised decisions for the long term. Yes. Well, and I want to come back to the buddy program that you mentioned. Um, I think that that's really important. And for anybody listening or watching who doesn't already follow Eddie, first of all, you have to on LinkedIn. Um, because if you don't, you're really missing out. Second, he has an amazing industrial marketing ABCs videos that he puts out. And I would imagine that you have one starring the letter B or brought to you by the letter B that talks about, tell, tell people listening, what does that look like? What does a buddy program look like? Sure. So without ha like what it rooted from, I never thought it was ever going to be a, a big thing. If I'm being honest with you, um, I, I reference it back to the buddy system back. Like when you were swimming as a kid, yeah. um, not everybody had this, but a lot of swim with a buddy, right? Be safe. You're going to go out at night when the street lights are on, be with a buddy. It increases that safety, you know, and reduces your effort in the case something had to happen. So I thought, okay, how can we turn that into an empathetic as well as synergistic approach in marketing? And so I challenged myself and I thought, I love collaborations. I love connecting with other people. And so I had this crazy idea to take a skeletal concept of, okay, if we can identify a budget that we want to put into a specific project with the desired outcome, and we have effort that is required for that desired outcome, what if we brought someone or other individuals, other entities into this collaboration so they can either, they can do one of two things. They can either double down and produce the same level of effort and investment that we have, or we cut our effort and investment in half so that they only have to work half as hard, spend half as much of those dollars while doubling the initial effort. And I did that on a variety of occasions. So it's, collabor it's collaboration at its core, right? But it's also reducing the amount of output or sorry, or yeah, general output that you have to put effort bandwidth at uh, resources, but then doubling the reach, the frequency that you would have originally had. So it's super synergistic. It really maximizes everything. And you're really, it gets both parties equally vested. So empathy is a strong core to that type of effort. Yes. Yes to everything you just said. Um, well, so again, for people listening, 
let's say I'm a manufacturer and I'm I'm interested about what you just said. I think, okay, this, this sounds valid. What kind of a buddy am I looking to partner with? What does that even mean to me? Solid. Yeah, you get to do what I like to call a collaboration audit, which is just a small series of questions. We won't go through all of them, but you have to really reverse engineer with intention, which is one of my favorite phrases of all time. Love uh, so if I know, let's say the drill in, in, in uh, sorry, a standard electric drill or drill bits is kind of a great example, right? So if I know I am a drill manufacturer and I make this drill, I want to look at all of the major drill manufacturers that I can do some type of collaboration with because I know the individuals who are buying my drill need the drill bits. And so if I can create some type of messaging, some type of story, some type of content around that, that is the ideal work, like the hammer, the nail, if you will. You're looking at things that work together. Kind of a fun, funny reason. Why do you think they sell ping pong balls by solo cups in grocery stores? <laughs> I, love, you know? I love it. <laughs> so very similar concept to that. Like, who can you tell a story with? Who do you solve a problem with? Who wants to genuinely be able to work with you? And if you go through this small list, it makes it way easier. But it's who can you tell a story with while also explaining how you solve the problem to the end user? And there are way more ways to do that than what people think nowadays. Yes. Oh, my God. I love this. So I've, I'm a fan of, of systems, right? Which I think you are, mm -hmm. too. Like, everything's connected. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. who could we collaborate with? that I always talk to manufacturers um, and I, I believe you talk about this as well is, you know, you may be a, a tool manufacturer. Let's say you manufacture drills. Well, your only part of a bigger system for your customers, right? Who else are they buying from to create whatever it is they need to create to solve their problem or do their job? So this is that stop trying to market in a vacuum, which is really easy yeah. to do. We've all done it. Um, oh, yeah. And look outside yourself and invite someone else to collaborate and then invite people into this bigger story. All of the above, all of yeah. the above. Yeah. And when I was working for a, a medium-sized uh, machine tool manufacturer, we kind of, my thing, my war cry was we're stealing attention. It wasn't, we're going to go develop attention. I, that was the narrative. We are going to be pirates and absolute thieves, thieves or whatever of attention, like no joke. <laughs> uh, and, and so it was a huge thing for us. And so we knew we had to do that on the shoulders of giants. Right. And so we were able to collaborate with some of the largest brands in the industry specifically because we were the ones making the noise. So we went from having to talk people into collaborating with us to then having people come to us with ideas or ask us, hey, we want to do something together. What can we do? And I'm at that point now in my career where like anywhere that I would I go, I'm lucky enough. And I say it's not humility, but where people are coming to me and saying, hey, I don't care what it is. What ideas do you have? How can we do something? Because I know what you've done before. And that's a yeah. liberating place to be. Yes. Well, and that's, don't you feel like that's you're becoming a category of one and you're becoming sought after versus seeking. So I talk to yeah. manufacturers about this all the time. That's the place you want to be so that instead of constantly, you know, I always feel like I think Seth Godin said this first, so I'm stealing it um, because I wholeheartedly believe it. You should not market at people, but on behalf of and for them. Ooh, that's, that's good. Money. 
That's really money. good. So yeah, yeah it, it's, and, and again, this all ties back to, like you said, the synergy, the through way and the emotional connection. And if you meld this all together, I, I, I you gave me this little framework and I love it. Empathy plus synergy plus strategy equals victory. I love that. That's it. Be, it. That's, it could be a bumper sticker, a shirt. I think you need to TM it. Um, I might get a tramp stamp. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't think know. You, I think you should. I think you should. To be determined. Let me ask the wife. <laughs> um, but yeah, if if I don't know, I think maybe part of it is um, helping manufacturers see the value in this system. Because because another mentor of mine says, when the value is clear, the decision is easy. So if we make the value crystal clear and um, show, like you said, you're, you're demonstrating through results, you're demonstrating by showing up, uh, by stealing attention, by, you know, being the squeaky wheel. And I think that's a way that we can help manufacturers get past some of these fears and embrace this. Sure. And it's, the gap. it comes back to change. Um, cause it's hard and, and, and I, I try to, to, I say something, I try to be empathetic in my approach. Cause I understand the people making the decisions for some of the largest brands in the industry are not as forward thinking. And there is a changing of the guard from, from the bottom level to top level of these companies. And you're noticing that because the way I see it is even though that some of the individuals who are making a lot of these large decisions from a brand perspective, you'd like to think that they were born in the time where, where social media was big for them, but that it's not always a huge thing and not that they need to be 100% aware with socials in order to be in with the times. That's not the point. Um, but it's the idea that, that humans are changing the way that they, they act, the way that they think, and most importantly, the way they communicate in tandem with how they receive, see, search for, and digest information. And What's what I think we're going to notice is you're not going to see these big brands die off. That's not going to happen by any means. Some of them are too big to fail in some regards, but I think you're going to change the way that they specifically think about it because there are already individuals that are leading by example, um, and they aren't they weren't and aren't always doing what's most popular, but they will be eventually. You can mark my words. Mm -hmm. Well, I did. Um, I wrote an article about the demise of Sears, for example, or you know the downfall. Oh. And I don't know about you. I mean, I'm we're both Midwest kids, right? And when I was growing up, the Sears catalog was the the wish book. I mean, you couldn't wait for this thing to come in the mail. I don't know when it came, September. And we'd circle everything that we wanted, you know, from yep. Santa. And it really, I, I had so much fun, but also was a little sad when I put together this article because I wanted to demonstrate how you can be a leader and eventually become obsolete because you didn't change at the speed of culture. Mm -hmm. True and story. If, True story. If, yeah. if you're a small to midsize manufacturer, I don't know that that's as important to them. Like, what do you think? Do you think they feel like, Oh, wow, we better, you know, we better get on the bandwagon with all of this and, and change at the speed of culture, or we're going to get left behind or go out of business. I, I'm not really sure they think like that. Because I don't think they have like the big worry that they're going to go out of business specifically yeah. like in the B2C sector, like with Sears, 
you got some work because you're relying on all types of consumers buying personas. And that's such a wide stinking net. Yeah. Obviously scalable, but like from a manufacturer's perspective, like aside from having another huge, you know, knock on wood, a huge pandemic, coronavirus, whatever, yeah. the, one of those type of situations, <laughs> whatever. Um, I think that, that they're just not as worried um, because still there's a lot of individuals who view marketing more so as an expense than an investment. And don't let me be the rah-rah guy that says, you're so wrong. How dare you say that and snap three times, whatever, and give you the old <laughs> neck attitude situation. It's not the way that it is. Um, uh, but but I, I, I think very strongly that there's just not as much understanding and so you can't blame someone for not understanding something which they don't yeah. have the, the perspective to do so and these are intelligent people running these businesses they're not dumb so i have hope absolutely Allison, my hope is that just people like myself because i know there are other noisemakers out there just leading by example and eventually the guard changes because mm -hmm. I can almost guarantee that when all those who are at the top now were in that mid-level younger, they were complaining about those above them saying they didn't right. listen. They weren't going with the times while Bob Dylan was saying the times they are a change and <laughs> whatever. So it's just cyclical. I feel in a way we're just see seeing it in the 21st century form. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> something that you are, I feel like an expert in. And, and one of the reasons you're on the Manufacturing Masters platform with some really great videos is you talk a lot about content uh, and demand generation. I feel like for our listeners, let's say I'm a small manufacturer and I hear this demand gen, I hear this word, this phrase all the time. I don't really know what it means or what I'm supposed to do. Do I, how do I, how do I generate demand? Like, is there, how would you answer that question? If, if I'm a small manufacturer and I'm looking for some clarification on this and some insight, yeah. like that first, and then two, how could I take advantage of demand Hello. generation? Yeah. So without getting any type of like technical definition, because there's plenty of them, like me, like the layman's Eddie dummy term is seriously just making as much noise as possible to as many relevant human beings as possible. So that it is as likely as possible for them to choose you during that buying stage. So what I think we do is we market so much during the buying stage where we, where they're ready to buy it. We're hoping that we can just get as many of them marketing and sales qualified leads as possible. Right. But what I would argue is that demand generation is speaking to them and creating and controlling the narrative before they even know that you are an option or that they need you, right? And there's value to that because instead of going out and being on the MQL hamster wheel, you're now creating demand within your category. You're creating thought leadership within your category and you're stealing attention. Now, how can individuals do this? There are a lot of ways that you're able to accomplish this. And I know um, I talk about this throughout various parts of my playbook, but one of the biggest and easiest ways to scale this is via fractal content. Um, that and using the good old buddy branding system, aka collaboration, um, because we know and everyone knows whether you decide to ignore it or not, there are conversations being had by your ideal customer every single day in a variety of places across the internet. So if information in 2023 is a commodity, why are you not trying to control the message and the narrative at scale? 
You can do that by having an active social platform, developing and implementing even a small minor level cadence of social media strategy. And if you do that with collaborating with others, it only makes things easier. So as I go back, I want to make the point one more time that in 2023, information is a commodity. So a demand generation, why not put out as much of that conversation as possible to control the narrative at scale? Mic drop, as Kurt Anderson would say. Um, <laughs> My boy Kurt, yes. <laughs> right? Um, he would also say wowzer about now. Um, yeah, that oh, I was, feel that in my heart. <laughs> so good. Well, okay. So I believe everything that you just said to be true. I've witnessed gotcha. it. I've experienced it. If I'm, let's say, um, the head of sales and marketing for a mid-sized manufacturer and I am more on the sales side, right? That's my sweet spot. And there's a lot of okay. these folks out there and what they're really brilliant at what they do, but they have told me point blank. I don't understand marketing really. And I really, you know, I know we need to spend some money on it, but it's not really as important as sales. So do you run into people like this? And I'm assuming I'm not the only one. And if so, what do you say to them above and beyond like what you just said? Because all that makes sense to me. You know, like I say, if like Greg Michio talks about creating a digital twin of your sales yeah. team and I have salespeople reach out and say, whoa, hey, you think you're just going to duplicate me and like I'm going to be this little avatar? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. Right. This is a system to support you, the boots on the ground. We can't do mm -hmm. this without you. You're incredibly important. Um, mm -hmm. I, I guess my my question is how to help somebody, a leader who doesn't believe in it, understand this value of communicating at scale, right? One to many without, I mean, this is happening while you and your salespeople are sleeping. Mm -hmm. Is this a, they have to shift their own mindset? This has to become important to them for it to matter? Are we wasting our time trying to convince? And would our time be better spent talking to leaders who they already believe? They, they know this works. They just need help doing it. I don't know. There's probably a lot of questions in there, but. I got you 100%. So I'm just going to lead it off with you. And I think I said it earlier, in God we trust, everybody else brings data. And so you don't have to like me. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to trust me. But if I show you numbers on a piece of paper and Shani, I can directly relate that and tie that to business results, um, then it's going to be very hard for anyone to argue that. So if you have a right. CRM that you're utilizing that has proper attribution set up, that's fantastic. If it's tied into your socials and you're running ads in tandem, it's fantastic. But even if you go past that, let's risk extract the data point of that. Uh, if we're talking about a content standpoint, since that's kind of the avenue where we're speaking about, um, a lot of people are afraid because they don't have the time or bandwidth to do it. But I would argue that just like you're saying, like you said, your website is, you know, the only salesperson that works 24 seven for you. Socials are doing the same exact thing. And the, the silver lining towards that and towards that content is there's so much data tied into that and baked into those platforms where I can tell you how many impressions, which to me is a representation of the amount of eyes essentially mm -hmm. that you have physically been in front of. So that's a guaranteed delivery at 
at a free next to the time that it takes to obviously produce that. But there's no cost to put that message out there. So it also goes back to it's an opportunity for you to control that message and that narrative at scale. So why would you not want to do that given the minimal effort? Because I guarantee you, I see marketers working way harder on things like Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoint <laughs> slideshows for executives. I see marketers wasting their time on things that they could really get much more of a return and tie data to that. So if I told you you had the choice between to take something that you've always done, that you don't have a lot of data towards, that there's a lot of effort that goes into it, and you can't really track it as well versus the alternative, I'm not trying to frame the conversation too much. It sounds a little one-sided. That's because it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a pretty <laughs> standard situation, even though I don't expect everyone to have the same level of understanding. That's why in God we trust, I'll bring data to show you what I'm doing and how it works. Right. I love it. Well, um, God, we're at the towards the end here and we have to wrap mm -hmm. up. I want to ask you a random question about this and trade shows. Okay. I see a lot of manufacturers spending a lot of money going to trade shows, the same trade shows every single year. And yep. um, some of them turn to us to um, felt and they say, okay, we ask them, what's your pre-show strategy? And they look at us like, what? Okay, so you need a pre-show strategy, an at-show, and then post-show. What are you doing post-show besides a mashup of pictures and a thank you, and then you move on? So we create the strategy for them, and in we're trying to create the content, right? What's going to go into these social posts and these e-blasts? What's going to get people excited about your booth? Well, we don't have any new products or anything new to share this year. Okay. Great start. Are you, are you giving anything away? No. Or we'll probably do an iPad again. Okay. Uh, are, are you going to be speaking? Are you going to have any demonstrations? Are, so you see where I'm going with this. And this yeah. is not a put down. This is, I see they're, they're throwing money and at these things, but they're not really bringing any value, anything new before, during, or after the show. So do you feel like trade shows are important and a viable opportunity? Because you go to a lot of them. So I'd love to hear what you think. And two, how do you think manufacturers could do it better so that they actually can see some ROI from these shows? I'm so happy you're bringing this up. Um, from an outsider perspective, being on both sides as mm -hmm. like just an attendee, featured guest, whatever, that also being like in the booth plenty of times working, you have scanning the leads. And then also being in the middle where I've planned one for a global company, planned global trade shows. And and it's one of those things where they're interesting to me. And and, and I, I, I kind of sit on the fence a little bit because I, I come from the school of thought where it, these people are, and I've seen, and I've been personally a part of this, where people are spending entirely too much. And the ROI is not being tracked and it's really sloppy. And everyone's trade show strategy consists of just a table with some small giveaways, uh, older white men dressed in polos. I'm sorry, that's what they all do. Um, and and it, it's bland and your follow-up strategy is also follow up. We're just going to blast email one time, all the emails that we, we collect or all the scans because those are not leads, ladies and gentlemen. Those are scans, okay? Right. Let me clarify right. that. I will die on that hill. Um <laughs> But aside from that, it can be done. But I think there's a great opportunity. Let me let me 
lighten up the message because there's light here, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you have the ambition and the creativity to stand out, put creatives in charge of your trade show efforts. Put creatives in charge because it can take just a minimal amount of effort to stand out significantly. And there are benefits there. But if you do it just the way that you've always done it and just like everybody else does it, then why don't you just go back to cold emailing people because that's where you belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I've never asked you this, but like, I don't know if you're a preacher's son or what, but you are like, you have that cadence and that energy and that charisma like you and Andrew Crow, man, like I just, I, I'm on board. I'm like, yes, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Andrew Crow is <laughs> a phenomenal human. So I, so I appreciate being, oh. he's, he's, a, he's a, he's a good dude doing great things. So, so I'm happy to be in conversation with a guy like that for sure. Well, what you guys, we, are I've doing, been told that a couple of times. Oh no, no, it's so true. And what you guys are doing for the industry is it's uh, a breath of fresh air. It's uh and Megan Zimba, like I, I'm, I'm just oh, so yeah. appreciative of all of you and really just want to thank you for spending time with me today. I know you're a busy guy and um, yeah, it just means a lot and the work that you're doing really matters. So thank you. And then thank you for, for the opportunity to be able to speak to all the awesome things and helping us together sounding the alarm. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody listening, if you're not already following um, Eddie, you've got to, and um You've got to watch his industrial marketing ABC videos. They're great. They're quick. They're to the point. He could create a little library and sell it as a digital asset to all manufacturers. It's that valuable. So, and uh, if you find value in this episode, I would just appreciate it if you would leave us a review, share this with a colleague that you think could benefit from this. And if nobody tells you this week, um, you matter. The work that you're doing matters and you're not just seen and heard, you're felt. So until next time, thanks. If you're not already, subscribe to the Manufacturing Masters podcast on Apple Music or Spotify. And for a deeper dive, head on over to manufacturing-masters.com. It's everything they never taught you in school.